Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of Netflix's uh, Marvel's Luke Cage. See how many apostrophes I can toss into that name. I like that. Go ahead and give your We Might Also Spoil list. Uh, certainly we may spoil anything and everything else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Certainly the first two seasons of Netflix's Marvel's Daredevil. Netflix's Marvel's Jessica Jones. We haven't seen Iron Fist because it takes place after Mm -hmm. this. Defenders hasn't been released, so we haven't seen it, and it takes place after Iron Fist. Jessica Jones, Daredevil, uh, Luke Cage. I think those are all the ones so far. Certainly, uh, possibly Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Iron Man movies, which get referenced, the Hammer Tech quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, We might even spoil a few MC Hammer videos. I don't know. It depends how far afield we go. Uh, They reference Thor... Um, there were several things that just visually, to me, kind of felt Incredible Hulk. Yes, there were a few, you know, cage smash kind of... Yeah. You know, he, they never used that term, but, you know, when he's pounding through the walls or whatever, there was an aspect of the Lou Ferrigno Hulk TV show. There was some of that. Uh, once or twice, I thought, you know, when he was... And albeit he'd been through rough fights or whatever, but when he was doing kind of the Hulk walk down the street that was more of a stiff lumber mm-hmm. than his normal comfortable walk. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I think, what we're going to be touching on is going to be the other Netflix stuff. Yeah. Because this had a different pacing than those. I would say most of the others, uh, the two seasons of Daredevil and the, the one of Jessica Jones, were pretty much about a 12-hour long kind of movie miniseries kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. One overarching story with a bit of episodicness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in some cases kind of two major arcs for like second season of Daredevil. Okay. Here, it felt very much like while there was the big arc, there was kind of the first equivalent of a trade paperback, if you will. Up until about episode five or six, when it's like, yep, I've done what I need to do, I'm leaving town. And then the next trade paperback equivalent, if you will, which I would say lasted up and through about issue 11, and then 12 and 13 were kind of the, the I don't want to say the epilogue, but the finale of the overall story. Well, yeah, in some ways it felt like two seasons of the TV show that happened to come out at once. Yeah, it the the pacing was very much he thinks he's done but oh wait there's there's a round two if you will well he thinks he's done but the world isn't done with him yeah with some of it uh there were a few times when i was reminded and it does feel true to life of some people actually have no beef with you until you go and provoke them and give them a reason yes and there were just several occasions within this where I'm sitting here going, okay, th- this person, it wasn't always Luke Cage, you know. There were a couple of times, if somebody had just not kept poking the bear, yeah, they'd have been better off. Everyone would have been better off. Yeah. No, absolutely. One of the things I want to touch on before we get too deep into okay. this is, as you know, I am a comic book fan. 
I had a suspicion you read a comic book or two on occasion. But the funny thing with that is whenever these sorts of, you know, TV shows or movies or whatever come up, it's like, oh, well, you read comics. You must know everything about this character. Mm. And sometimes they'll ask if I know anything for like Superman or Batman. I'm like, yeah, really? Uh huh? But for someone like this, well, you know, since you know Superman Batman, clearly you know every, you know, character in the Marvel or DC universe that's ever had their own title. Yeah. And I know a fair amount about Luke Cage, but I will admit to not having read the original Luke Cage comic, which ran for 50 issues, mm. back starting, I think, in 72, because, you know, I'm not that... I, I was around back then, but I was, I was, I was, ver- I was born at a very young age. <laughs> and hadn't gotten I, a hell of a lot past that by the time the comic came out. Should I give an estimation of no. what I think your literacy level was when that comic book was out? Uh, I'd have enjoyed drooling on the pictures, I think. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I was I was not into comics at that point. That came uh, a little bit later. And by issue 50, it became, I think, Power Man and Iron Fist at that point. Mm. That ran to, I think, 123 issues, of which I read, I think, the last four. Oh, okay. Because that was around the time of either Secret Wars or Secret Wars 2, uh, which is my gateway into the, the Marvel Universe. So, a lot of these characters, well, obviously, I knew Misty Knight. She's been a mainstay of... Because Luke Cage and, and Iron Fist were the heroes for hire. Ah, got it. Okay, they were the superhero equivalent of private eyes you could hire or whatever, except they did more pound smash than than fly than investigate oh okay okay so misty knight i knew obviously luke cage um turk we'd seen in daredevil Mm -hmm. claire we'd seen in daredevil and jessica jones Mm -hmm. she had a much bigger role here and she was well used very well used now when we hit the end of uh the 12th episode which ends on a ooh, there's going to be a big fight at the start of the next we paused, pulled up the IMDb page, because at this point, Cottonmouth, I knew he was a member of the Secret Society, of, or not the Secret Society, that's DC. He was a member of the Serpent Society, which was a band of uh, snake-themed villains that played Captain America in the 80s. Okay, technically what I had asked you to pull up was a picture of Diamondback, so I would know how the costume was. I was getting was. there. Okay. I was getting there, because okay. Diamondback was in this almost Captain America... Not looking costume, but the helmet, the the military esque look. Yeah, it looked kind of fighter pilot y. Yeah. yeah. It so and of course at this point, my knowledge of a lot of these characters like Cottonmouth and stuff was from the Serpent Society, which had been a mainstay in the Captain America books in the mid eighties and whatnot. Uh, written by Mark Grunewald. This would have been, I think, a little after Mike Carlin's time there, although he may have still been on Marvel uh, at that point. Anyways, and there was a Diamondback character there, and she was nothing like this one. She was a thief. She had little diamond, almost like throwing things, mm. and she was she became a reformed villain, worked with Captain America, dated Captain America and such. So I had never really thought about, was this the first Diamondback? Was there a previous one? Oh, yeah, okay. So she, turns out, was the second one that the Wikipedia page was telling us about the first one. And going through that, I mean, they had clear references in the credits as to the couple of creators that they were really pulling a lot of their source material from. Mm -hmm. But not having read a lot of that early Luke Cage stuff. Yeah, I recognize the Sweet Christmas when there's the one where he's 
we're flashing back. He's escaped from the prison. He's got the headband. He's got the gauntlet type things on. He grabs jeans and a yellow shirt. He looked very much like the classic Luke Cage of the comics. Mm. And Pause is just long enough to say what you know how much of a fool he looks like. But in other words, let's pay homage to the the comic book look. But let's also kind of point out, yeah, we can't stick with it because it doesn't work. Yeah. And what they had is a very grounded, yes, uh, Harlem, you know, setting for most of this. Yeah. And you know, I was again astonished how much of uh, what we were seeing seems to have been drawn from those early comics. The relationship with Willis Stryker and Luke Cage, or, or Carl Lucas, obviously the whole origin of, of Luke Cage. Uh, Claire Temple was from uh, these comics. Um, Willis was, was Diamondback. Uh, the Doctor who'd provided the powers and stuff. So, I mean, I knew the origin. I'd seen the, the, the recaps of it enough time in various Luke Cage comics since but not having actually read the original source material. In the comics, in the origins you've seen, do they mention he was either the only success like this did or that his DNA played a factor? In the comics, Willis Stryker and him are not brothers. Okay. So I don't know of any DNA thing, and I don't recall... Because typically when I would see it, it'd be like a half page, was in prison, was experimented on, got, you know, bulletproof skin, let's move on. Okay. So I don't recall any mention of further successes or failures. I think in the comics, and again, I'd have to go double check this, it was one of those, in the Marvel Universe comics, there was so many attempts to recreate the super soldier serum for Captain America. Yeah. And variations of it led to various different characters. Well, and I mean, as much as the doctor had that not full on mad scientist, but he could easily be tempted that direction because he saw too many possibilities. I wouldn't say mad scientist, but naive idealist. This could solve aging. It could end all disease. He, in his mind, was the hero of his own story, this doctor. Definitely. But and he was he was certainly skirting the edge of ethical human testing and whatnot by not skirting it. I think he went way too far. Well, see, and that's why I was saying he, I think he could easily be tempted towards that mad scientist into the spectrum away from because he was already ethically questionable in my mind. But he had started out with a good aim. I guess I would say mad scientist is trying to do something that's frankly a little insane, a little evil or whatever. And I don't think this guy was that. I think he was something somebody who had a what he thought was a, a heroic goal in mind and suffering and all this stuff and could rationalize a lot of things. It's like, well they volunteered for this. I I think he started there and he was slipping further and further away from his good origins. I, I think is how the I ends felt. justifying the means allowed him to justify a lot more over time, and he lost sight of what he was doing in the moment because he was so focused on the end goal. When the impression I got was that his original purpose had been what if a soldier's skin was strong enough mm -hmm. it could heal? And from there, he had just kept extrapolating possibilities. Until he had reached the, what if I could be immortal? Well, I think once he realized what had happened 
with Luke Cage and how he heals and such that this is immortality and it was even bigger than he thought. So the questionable things he would have done before, he would go even further this time. And that's why I'm saying okay, I, I can see that. I think he's temptable. <laughs> Oh, temptable, and, no question. I would just not go evil scientist, mad scientist. I don't think he was there in what we saw. I just think that they wrote a character who just kept seeing possibilities and was so enraptured by the potential that I think once he gets paired with Stryker, that that's a dangerous combination. Oh, absolutely. But it was a nice way to end with that char- both those characters. Yeah. And I thought they had set up fair on that. But this Doctor is more of the Hydra mentality than the S.H.I.E.L.D. mentality. Yes. Well, and they they definitely foreshadowed that Stryker was going to end up with the Doctor. Because of the DNA? Fair enough, fair enough. Basically, they, they let us know, what, four or five episodes before that happened, that there had only ever been one survivor of the process, and he was convinced it was something about Luke Cage's DNA. Mm-hmm. And if there were another family member, and oh, we happen to know there's a half-brother, and he's sitting here saying, if only I could get my hands on another family member. At that point, I uh, we suspected half-brother. We didn't know for certain. True. But yeah, they played fair on that, and I respect that. I, the moment that Diamondback opened his mouth, I was convinced they were brothers. What I found interesting on the backstory for Luke Cage was less the whole brother stuff, although I thought they set that up well. And particularly when he realizes that they are half-brothers, just... He could fit the pieces together. Well, yeah, it cast his childhood in a different light. Yeah. Which I liked. But we'd gotten all this stuff of in the prison, he's learning how to fight. He's getting trained how to fight. Mm-hmm. When we do a later flashback uh, in one of the last episode or two to their childhood a little later, and Diamondback is teaching mm-hmm. him how to fight. It's like there's all this. He should be a bit more of a boxer. Yeah. Whereas when we see him throughout the series he's literally just smacking people around yeah because partially if he actually hit them with a full fist it would probably kill them and i think that's something he's aware of because they set up that he had the military background he he's smart enough to know that well i think in the wikipedia page they referred to it as smack foo if well yeah the fighting style yeah well and at genghis khani when he does do some some proper grab the fist and do the things you would do in a fight. And we're just kind of seeing people's bones pulverized and stuff. And he's realizing, okay, if I get mad and fight properly. You know, when the guy hits him in the jaw, the jaw doesn't move and the guy just about breaks his hand or Mm -hmm. does break his hand. There's an aspect of of Luke Cage is a bit more immovable than he tends to be. Mm -hmm. And then you counteract that with near the end of the series we're diamond back in this souped-up uh, suit from Hammer Tech, which is surprising in so much as it works. Yeah. Uh, he's hitting Luke Cage, and Luke Cage is getting bounced almost half a block down. Yeah. And the odd part about that is they never seem to get too far from the barbershop, well, even Luke, though he gets hit a few times and should be about three blocks down. Luke keeps coming back for more. Yeah, but I think if we rewatched that, and maybe I'm wrong, he hits him once to get out of the barbershop, and at least twice after that, down the block. Yeah. Now, if it had been one, and this would have been kind of funny to do, get an overhead shot, and it's around the block. That would be fine. You know, that could have worked. Anyways, yeah. there were some 
some good fight scenes, quite a few of which, uh, particularly the one at the uh, Atticus building, where, I mean, Cage pulls Tor off a car to use as a, a riot shield. Not that he needs a shield, but it was just convenient. And he's just going through this gauntlet, and the mm-hmm. stuff's getting shot up, uh, and he just keeps going. Well, and what I loved about that was when uh, Misty is doing the recap with her partner, and she says, yeah, no bodies. Mm-hmm. All of this, all of this gunfire, and nobody got hurt or killed. Yeah. You know, this This was not accidental. Mm-hmm. And the way, though, they portrayed Luke Cage in that respect reminded me of the Juggernaut from the X-Men. Nobody stops the Juggernaut, he's imo- and the Blob, for that matter, of an immovable object. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they do a little of that with Luke Cage, but not to the point it's a superpower. It's just, you're not going to knock him off his feet without really trying. Yeah. But if you catch him unprepared, or you do really try, you can. Yeah. They did enough uh, techno babble around how he heals and whatnot to make it plausible and to make the magic bullets work. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember if the Judas bullet was mentioned in the Iron Man films when we see Hammer do some of his uh, weapons demos or not. I don't recall. That's interesting. I don't recall. But having Justin Hammer and his technology be what's in play was kind of a nice trickle-down aspect of the universe. Yeah. Well, it took me more than two episodes, at least. I'm trying to think how many, but definitely more than two, to start figuring out where in the continuity of even the Netflix shows this show fit in. It took me seven or eight to really know exactly where it kind of fit. Because at first, it's like, well, is this before or after Jessica Jones? That's unclear. There was a reference to the blind lawyer. Okay, that sets it after first season of Daredevil. Then when Claire meets up Luke and says, you don't remember me, do you? Okay, now after Jessica Jones. Yeah. And then finally a ways in, there was a reference to the Punisher. Mm. Oh, okay, it's now after second season of Daredevil. Yeah. Now we never really get anything other than the incident to kind of anchor it relative to the movies and whatnot. So we did get some Civil War discussion, not specifically stating Civil War, etc., but the concepts of Civil War were discussed. Yeah, but I think, well, certainly the concepts were there. No mention of the Sokovia Accords. In other words, this could have been the discussion leading into the Civil War stuff versus coming out of. And the fact that we never got a, well, they need to be registered or... Mm -hmm. Whatnot almost implies this is before. Interesting. Yeah. I have to remember when this got released. It may have gotten released before Civil War. That's very interesting. It took us a while to find the time to watch it. It's Yeah. I mean, these things are about at least a 12-hour commitment, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, in this case, a Friday, a Saturday, and into a Sunday well, uh, viewing for us. So it's most of, of my weekend. We talked a little on the pacing, but one of the things about the pacing that I noticed is Netflix is not bound to the 42-minute episode time frame. Well, one of the things I did uh, this morning, again, we watched, what, three or four the first night, all but the last two yesterday, and then today on a Sunday we finished up the last two. So this morning, um, before we'd all met up for lunch, I went through the Netflix stuff and just, okay, what are the times? Mm-hmm. On these, and they average to 54 minutes. Interesting. So, on average, we're getting about another 12 minutes than your average TV show. Mm-hmm. 
But to your point, the longest episode, I think, was 66 minutes and the shortest was 46 minutes. Yeah. That's a 20-minute difference. Yeah. I mean, that's that's getting close to a 30% or whatever chunk of... Yeah. Well, and I mean, when you're sitting there watching it, it's not a comment on the writing or the storytelling, but you reach a point where you're going, this feels like a long episode. And it's simply because there's some internal body clock that's saying, okay, we're at about 40 minutes in, my mind is expecting some kind of conclusion, but wait, this is a Netflix show and it has another 15 minutes. Well, and it's worth talking about that in so much as a primetime TV show has a cadence of every so many minutes, we've got to cut to the commercial. Yes. And we're going to have about five of these blocks and then maybe a teaser at the end or a little at the beginning, depends if they do the credits these days or not, you know, that kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. But with Netflix, they either start with the, uh, the credits or they do a little bit before cut to the credits and go on. That's the only break in the, the, the show they have. Other That yeah. gives them the and, – and they can place that wherever they want. Yeah. So if they want something of we need to cut away and give the audience time to absorb this and appreciate this, boom. If it's early in, let's just put the credits right after that. That gives us a strong start. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a punctuation mark, if you will. Yeah. But everything else, they've got complete and utter freedom to either not have those punctuations or to do them as fits Mm -hmm. you know fade to black for a second or two and okay now let's move on i was gonna say some of the punctuations came in terms of i want to say unique cinematography uh misty when she's talking with the psychologist yeah and there was a couple of times where there was one time in particular we see luke cage talking to somebody who's dying and then we pan out, and that's now the photo on Misty's uh, crime board. Yeah, they did that nicely. So they had some good cinematography there. But to me, it's a matter of an entire episode, for the most part, forms a, a paragraph, if you will, of the narrative versus on a typical TV show, each arc, or not arc, uh, each segment between the commercial breaks is each scene being the equivalent of a sentence, if you will. Paragraph is the commercial break next. Yeah. And then all of that is kind of that one-page treatment or chapter or whatever you would have. But for a Netflix show, because you've got really only that, you may have the one paragraph of the before the credits, everything else, I don't want to say runs together, but it, it changes the storytelling style significantly. Yeah. You can take a longer amount of time to have somebody, you know, in the, the, the mortuary mourning the, the death of somebody or to, you know, more gingerly uh, set up a scene, um, you can get a little bit more, I don't want to say nuanced, but... I felt that they created a lot more relationships within the community. I would agree with that and the fact that we would see some of these characters coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly at the end when uh, the person who he'd gotten their father's ring back, she's yep. cheering him on yep. and, and whatnot. The, the kid the with kid the mom. With the mom, etc. Yeah, the DVD salesman from the street came up several times. They definitely did a good job on the community building, both in terms of seeing enough of the community and getting to know them to some degree, but also in terms of how they set up Pops, how they set mm-hmm. up Harlem's Paradise. The police precinct. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't get a good sense of the geography uh, across those pieces, but we didn't really need to. We know those were key places. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a little bit of distance between them. Yeah. So I thought they did a good job there. Um, the pacing, though, was such, and the ambiguities to when it was set was one of those things that if I hadn't already liked Luke Cage going in because of his appearances in Jessica Jones, this would have felt, frankly, really slow. Yeah. But I knew the character, I liked the character, so I was willing to, to go with that. There were a couple of places where, little violent or whatnot, there were a couple of places where the violence, I don't want to say it was implied, because it was, it was there, but the camera was angled just up enough that we didn't actually see it. Yeah. We see the person doing it, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I thought it was a bit, um, tamer is not the right word. but More a bit, tasteful is the yeah, only way I can go. Discreet. Yeah. Than uh, certainly first season of Daredevil, uh, without whitewashing it or watering it down or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I thought they had a really strong cast. Yes. Well, and I think the strength of the cast actually is part of why I was so convinced the first time Diamondback was talking. I'm like, so that's Luke Cage's brother. Mm. Because Luke Cage, when he had talked briefly about his family, it was, you know, my dad was a preacher who was so determined to raise a son who didn't go to jail. And when I went to jail, doesn't say it, but basically it's I was disowned. Then later when we meet Diamondback and he comes in and he's doing not quite the flamboyant preacher tone, but a bit of the I might as well be up at the pulpit quoting the Bible. And I'm like, that sounds like the son the preacher wanted to raise. That sounds like the brother no, I see where you're coming from. I wasn't really either looking for that or necessarily seeing it, but when you pointed out, I totally get that. Um, for me, they had already set him so much as kind of the the power player behind the scenes. Well, for the longest time, I thought Shades was pretending there was a diamond back because Shades was very clearly trying to angle himself into a better, stronger position. Yeah, I was thinking Shades was the... Uh, playing the part of the messenger wasn't the messenger. Yes. Particularly when a few times of, well, do I really need to go back to him? Yeah. But I thought also the actor they had for Shades did an awesome job throughout. Yeah. The one thing I found that was always just kind of uh, echoing in my ear or whatever is he looks and sounds just enough like Adam Sandler. Oh, how funny. Yeah. That... Um, you know, who does, of course, comedies, and this guy was no comedy. He was yeah, grade-A-level villain, um, and just there were a couple of times where I think both the actor and the character were having some fun with it, yeah. particularly at the end when he's asking for a lawyer. Yes. And then appears to break. It's like, no, no, I want a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, it was he was a pivotal character, a powerful one, and one whose role shifts a little. Uh, not a little, quite a bit throughout the the thing. Having watched a ton of Power Rangers stuff, more the Super Sentai actually than this than the Power Rangers, you always have the big bad. Okay, mm-hmm. he's got a couple of lieutenants, mm-hmm. and then throughout the Super Sentai stuff, there's two or three places where it's like, okay, either at thirds or quarters, they they kind of move things along. And one of the common plot points is, oh, the big bad of Cottonmouth. Well, he's either going to go to jail or he's going to get taken out or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, then somebody ride, uh, rises to power. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lieutenant. Sometimes it's somebody else who steps in and had taken the other guy off the board. 
Yeah. But invariably, you got to watch those lieutenants. Yes. Yeah. They're always trouble. And Shades was very much like that, uh, as to degree was Zip. Yes. And who was the one who had overstepped his bounds earlier? Oh, yes. I can't think of his name, but yeah. Because there was one in the second episode decides he's going to take action. He's going to fix things. Tone. Cone. And it was uh, really, I think that's where the series took a definite turn, both for the better and for the worse. Better in terms of plot line when they kill off Pops. Yeah. Worse because I really liked Pops and I think he would have been an interesting kind of a mentor figure. Mm-hmm. But Pops was a character throughout the series. Yeah. Even though he was only in the first two episodes. Yeah. You know, he cast such a, a large shadow and was such a defining presence in the community. Yes. And, of course, the, the service for him was really well done. It was. Yeah. And that was one of those where I thought because it was a Netflix show, they could do the things of, uh, I forget if it was Bobby Fish or whoever, who was folding the programs, who was setting them out on the pews, who was... Yeah. And this is, I don't say indulgent storytelling, but it kind of is. Yeah. But not to the point of wasteful. There were a couple of places in some of the episodes where it's like, I like what I'm seeing, but can you move just a little bit faster, folks? Yeah. Um, 12 hours of viewing, and I think they had easily 10 hours of great story. Well, I thought what they did with the Reva stuff was surprisingly interesting. Again, I was surprised she was a character from the comics. Mm. And I thought she was a very interesting one. I would have benefited from watching this closer to having watched Jessica Jones. Yes. Just because I couldn't remember where we left Luke at the end of that, how much of the Reva stuff uh, had gone on there. Mm -hmm. But she was the one that... um, I think Kilgrave had Jessica kill for the USB drive or something of that sort. That's right. Yes. And the fact that we never got any kind of strong connection or it would have been nice if this show had had a few flashbacks from that show. Yeah. Something a little bit more than, hey, I know a lawyer. Oh, there's this other person or whatever. Yeah. And I think they had room for that. I think they could have put that in. Yeah. Um. Well, what intrigued me was... In, I guess, the collapse of Genghis Khani episode, we got the flashbacks to what he remembers from being in Seagate, Mm -hmm. which is apparently the only federal prison in the Marvel Universe. No, we've seen others. Really? Because whether you're in Georgia or Harlem and you get sent to federal prison, you end up at Seagate. I'm just saying. It's one of the higher intensity things, which makes it a little odd for them to have gotten there. It was the Alcatraz of Marvel. It was, but we've also gotten, I think, the Raft or one or two others like in Captain America. So there are a few that are for the super-powered villains, and at this point, Cage wasn't one. True. Okay, I'm just saying, you know, it seemed like he went to the same federal prison as other... But anyway. Um, But we got his memories of being out there, and so we got kind of his perspective on meeting Reva and what lifeline therapy was, even though he was... I don't want to say refusing to participate because he was going to the group therapy sessions. But he wasn't talking. Yeah. He was just listening and stuff. So we got all of that. But then episodes later, when the USB drive gets unlocked and he has the chance to uh, to see the videos that she was making during that same time period about mm-hmm. him, which are under the code name that 
Tiara. She shouldn't connect to him yet. It did because she was using the code name for the process or the headband as part of the process. And he was, she was basically the screening process for who was going to go through it. But I guess it implied he was the only person she was screening to go to the TR. No, because after that, they go to the file or the folder that had his prisoner number. Oh, okay. I thought they went to that And before. then from there, okay. they were going from okay. first video, third video, let's yeah. go to 40, let's go to... Yeah, but as he's seeing kind of her perspective on him, realizing she picked him out, set him up, and she she betrayed him before she saved his life. So he's having to reevaluate. He's rethinking his relationship with her. It's interesting because just in the span of Jessica Jones and the Luke Cage series, Luke um, is with Misty, uh, Reva, um, starting to get there with Claire. And wasn't he with Jessica? He was. So gets around. Yeah. So it further ironic given that his father had an illegitimate child. I'm just saying that. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because some of this does harken back to the comics. Luke is with Jessica Jones in the comics. They have a kid. Mm. Luke, I think, had at one point dated Misty Knight. Hmm. They did go a few different ways with Misty Knight in, in this than in the comics. She did not lose the arm, even though it got seriously wounded. Mm. In the comics, she's got a, a like a robotic arm, courtesy of Tony Stark. And I was wondering if they were going to go there. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. They've always got time for that later, I guess. But I would wait until they have a way to give her a robotic arm first. Yeah. Because we have not... I mean, yeah, we got Hammer Tech, but there's no real connection to Tony yet. The, yeah. You know, why would he give a robotic arm to just a random NYPD uh, officer at this point? Um, they did bring in enough of the... I don't say the supporting cast, but the Heroes for Hire characters... Mm-hmm. Because Misty Knight at one point runs Heroes for Hire. Oh, okay. The main two, of course, are, are Power Man and, and Iron Fist. The Power Man name for, for Luke Cage is mentioned a few times. Yeah. Iron Fist is the next series, so that's why he's not here yet. But in addition to Misty, Misty Knight usually hangs out with Colleen Wing. And there was a really subtle call out for that at the end of the series where Claire sees a, a flyer for self-protection courses, pulls one of them, and the instructor is Colleen Wing. Yeah. Um, I expect Colleen to be one of, I think she is one of the characters in Iron Fist. Ah, got it. So that's part of why I wanted to watch Luke Cage sooner rather than later. We've already got Iron Fist stacked up to, to go watch. Who knows, by the time this airs uh, on the, the podcast, we may have Defenders as well. Mm. But it's it's nice to see them kind of building up the team, obviously leading towards a Defenders mm-hmm. uh, aspect. I would have liked to have seen, now that we've gotten... Um, four seasons if you will of the various shows two of daredevil one of jessica jones one of luke cage to get some stronger ties to the marvel universe uh, cinematic stuff even if it was just a little bit more visible shield presence mm-hmm. something of that sort a, a hint of of phil colson or something i'm not saying we've got to see thor or iron man or somebody like that no but we have a lot of tvs on in the background but they're only showing news coverage of the events within this show but I'm sure there are people listening who are thinking, oh, but Hammer Tech, isn't that enough of a connection? It's enough of a background element. We're not actually seeing, we're not having this tie into the Marvel Universe interactively. Yeah. The way we have when, you know, uh, uh, Tony Stark shows up in another movie 
or when uh, Phil Coulson is is interacting with the various people who will become Avengers. Yeah. That sort of, of back and forth. I mean, they're, they're getting the hand-me-downs of the movies, but we have yet to see any impact. Now, granted, there's probably a movie or two we might be behind on. I'm trying to think if we... I'm trying to remember if any of the cine- Marvel Cinematic movies have come out that we haven't seen yet. Logan's um, X-Men, so that mm. doesn't count. Okay. Thor, I guess, is the next one. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we are current. But even in like Captain America Civil War, there was no ramifications of Daredevil, of Jessica Jones, uh, of Luke Cage being around, even if this hadn't aired yet, that um, it, it still feels a little off to the side. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I'd like to see them kind of build up the universe a little bit more. Because I think the Netflix stuff is its own unique pocket of continuity. Yeah. Clearly set in the same world as the movies, but it, like I said, not interacting with. Mm-hmm. Um, and S.H.I.E.L.D. is, the TV show is much tighter tied into the movies than uh, than this is. So, um, I mean, they're doing good stuff here, but... It's interesting how they're able to take a superpowered universe and tell a really good, I think, story at, at a street level. Mm-hmm. Bring in the, 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 the powers, but keep them subtle enough that you're still literally on the street, not flying over it. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that uh, can be hard to do. But these are characters that if they were to have shown up, say, in Captain America Civil War as a third contingent or something. Yeah. Would have been cool, would have been a little odd, but you know what I mean? It would have worked. It could have worked. One of the things I would have liked within Luke Cage was if the two cops from the infamous dash cam footage who survived the encounter had just once spoken up on his behalf. I was annoyed that they never showed the beginning of the coverage yeah. where the one cop is shooting and, he, and uh, Luke Cage is shielding the other cop. Yeah. That would have completely exonerated if there had been somebody on the take that said, yeah, I edited the footage before I handed it up or I trimmed it or something. Yeah. And have had uh, whatever the other, the guy who um, kind of replaced Scarf or whatever is yeah. the other cop. Bailey. Bailey, thank you. If Bailey had actually gone to the dash cam, pulled the footage again. Yeah. And gotten the full picture. Yeah. Um, I did feel that this ended on... A couple of, I don't want to say cliffhangers, but loose plot threads intentionally. Well, it also, to me, was a little time frame confusing. Yeah. the If they had cut the bit from Harlem's Paradise from the ending, where they kept cutting back to the song and stuff like that, because the place had just been shot up and stuff for it to be back in business so soon. Yeah. Confused me. I mean, in 24 hours flat, they, they fixed broken glass broken you know shot up woodwork they they did impossible repairs for 24 hours was my feeling yeah because the time frame between the hostage situation and it being open for business again at most was a day maybe two yeah and there was no sign of anyone going to clean it up or whatnot because that all had to happen after mariah got out of out of the the precinct yeah yet it's intercutting with luke who moments later is is getting escorted by the FBI or whatever. Yeah, the Marshal Service. The Marshal Service, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mariah actually was an interesting one because she is a character from the comics, one that I was pretty much unaware of up until the recent Power Man Iron Fist series where she uh, was used. 
She was not a councilwoman. I wasn't sure how I felt about how they wrote her. She, uh, she wasn't trying to think how far is it. She wasn't solidly strong. She wasn't vulnerable in a way that made you feel compassionate for her. Mm-hmm. She, she was calculating and ruthless, but not necessarily in an intelligent way. There was a naivety to her where she was using her cousin Cornell Cottonmouth, at, who was clearly doing bad things. Mm-hmm. She was very aware of it. To the point of housing his cash in her building. Yeah. Which he saw as this this renovation thing was just a front. She's like, no, it's real. Clearly they were not yeah. seeing eye to eye on things. Yeah. And. She seemed to start the season wanting to turn his illegal activities into legitimate businesses. And she wanted him to stop the criminal enterprises because they made her look bad. The question was, was she in denial, was he in denial, or were they just on two separate pages? I think there was a combination of they were both on de- in denial and they were on separate pages. Because he couldn't imagine taking what he had and making it into legitimate businesses. And when we flashed back to the teenage years for them, if you will, and it was a he wanted to be a musician and had been told throughout his life the only option for you is the criminal activities that's one of those cases where if those characters had grown up under a different household very different lives yeah i don't know i mean she seemed to be trying to take the family legitimate thinking that was their legacy he was going with the the club and uh, frankly the gangster life thinking that was the the legacy there was very much a sense of of legacy throughout the show yeah. Those two characters, it was a big deal with Pops, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Luke Cage's father, uh, Willis's uh, father as well, yeah. same guy. So it's interesting because I didn't get that sense of, of legacy being a big deal with, um, uh, we get a little with Misty and, and the references to Pop, her father, that's where she did basketball, mm-hmm. etc. Um, but certainly not with, uh, with Claire. Mm-mm. But Claire's backstory or whatnot i mean that goes back three seasons prior to this of, of uh, you know three seasons worth of other netflix shows yeah leaving off with mariah potentially rebuilding her power base diamondback potentially getting powered up by the doctor the um uh, bobby fish having found the paperwork that could exonerate luke and he's in touch with uh, the night nurse claire claire who's in touch with the lawyer we'll get in touch with matt so the question is, if we get a third season of Daredevil before we get another season of Luke, does that come up there? Does this come up as part of the what instigates uh, uh, Defenders and gets them all together? Mm-hmm. There's a certain aspect of, well, I guess at the end of Jessica Jones, Matt had stepped in to help Jessica uh, as a lawyer. So really the only one who needs introducing is um, uh, uh, Matt Murdock and, and Luke Cage. They hadn't met yet. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, well, Iron Fist, I guess, is the odd man out, depending what happens in that series. They're building some nice connective stuff. It's just, I would have liked to have seen, not necessarily as part of this show, but somewhere, and maybe they've done it in fourth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which we haven't watched yet. I really want to see Phil Coulson and Claire meet. Yes. You know, just something of, he gets a minor injury, she tends to him or whatever, comments that uh, he's not like her other patients or whatnot or maybe he is because yeah. of his backstory and uh 
nothing major, just an exchange of his business card to her or some such. Something to build the, the connection. Yeah. Well, she amused the heck out of me when they have her down by the employee lockers banging on the wall. Because mm-hmm. it's basically Luke is trapped in a room he can't use the only exit for. And she's like, ah, he can make his own exit. I just got to tell him. Where? Yeah. Yeah. Again, she was well used in the other shows, but here... She was a full-fledged member of the cast and yeah. crew and uh, really was well used. And it, it grew her character over what we'd seen in the past stuff. And it's funny because I felt what we got here with Luke was very disconnected mm. from the Jessica Jones stuff to the point of when she says, hey, do you recognize me, Claire? Yeah. Luke doesn't even ask about Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I again, don't remember where... The Luke Cage character left off in Jessica Jones and and whatnot. Probably would not have been a bad idea for us to have skimmed that last episode of Jessica Jones. Yeah, yeah looking back on it, I kind of wish we had. Particularly since he Luke Cage was on that show. I don't see anything here that makes me think it, there's a, a recap that we would need to do before we did uh, Iron Fist. Okay, I hope if not. anything, Jessica Jones is that. Mm. Because the Carrie Ann Moss character of that lawyer. Oh, I see is an Iron Fist character, or is based on an Iron Fist supporting cast member. We did have a voice from Jessica Jones here. We did. We had um, uh, Trish Talks or whatever, uh, the radio show at the beginning of one of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was well done. And that was another one that because it was a Netflix show, they could spend a little more time getting that voiceover, getting the reaction of here's what Harlem is thinking about all of this. Mm-hmm. Likewise, when we had Method Man in that radio interview, we got a lot more of that than I feel we would have yeah. on another show or another network or whatnot. And I think a lot of the musical numbers we got, I think a lot of the musical numbers we got in the club and stuff, we wouldn't have gotten had it have been a uh, uh, you know, primetime TV show. Yeah. So it was good. It was fun. Um, I can see why a lot of people may have liked it, but weren't just wowed by it. Mm-hmm. The, the pacing felt a little you know, arc one, arc two finale kind of a deal. And it wasn't as tight as some of the other shows, but it was it was good. It was enjoyable. But I think with a lesser cast, it would have been a bit of a flop. I agree with all that. I think if I were going to do kind of a surface comparison to the DC shows there on the main networks, I would say that this had more of an art house feel than those which feel very mainstream, which I think may also be part of it. And I think it also has a little bit more of a leisurely feel. Yeah. They don't feel like they've got to really get moving in a five segment of a 42-minute show, mm-hmm. bang, bang, bang kind of a, a deal. They can they can be a little bit more relaxed and uh, um, stylized. I think they count on you being committed. If you're going to tune into the first episode, you're interested enough, you're probably going to tune into all of it. It's definitely geared towards binge watching. I think I would have had a hard time with this if it had been doled out over the, and I'd watched over the course of 13 weeks. Yeah, I agree with that. It's just, wait, who was this one again? Wait, was this Zip? Was this, which character, which thug of the week was this? Yeah. So, but uh, fun stuff. Enjoyed it. Glad we watched it. Uh, Looking forward to both Iron Fist and Defenders and uh, whatever else they choose to do on the Netflix side. Yeah, I agree. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. 
The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.